We're proud to have this episode sponsored by ShakePay, the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. I love using ShakePay because it's fast, it's easy, the app is great, and it doesn't hurt that they give away free sats, which is free Bitcoin every day just for shaking your phone. They also have the ShakePay prepaid Visa card issued by People's Trust that earns you up to 2% cash back in Bitcoin. Not points you have to redeem, just Bitcoin added to your account automatically. Like I said, ShakePay really is the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. So join the over 1 million Canadians already on ShakePay. Sign up is fast and free. It's so easy, a boomer can do it. Plus, sign up for ShakePay with the promo code LOONIEHOUR and you'll receive $10 after you buy your first $100 worth of Bitcoin. That's promo code LOONIEHOUR. Thank you, ShakePay. Now back to the show. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 69. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Keith Dicker of Ice Cap Asset Management, and we got Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting. Rich, what uh, you're, in, you're in a cabin cabin in the woods, or what's going on? Auf Wiedersehen. No, I'm in Austria. I'm in St. Anton, which is an absolutely magical ski resort slash booze fest for middle-aged european men um i'm here with a bunch of uh, friends of mine icelandic buddy fritz he he invited me out so it's me and uh half a dozen of the largest people you've ever seen and uh we're skiing every day all day and drinking way too much beer but if you if you're canadian you've never gone out to europe to ski it is an enlightening and life-changing experience it is way better the food's better it's cheaper believe it or not the hills are better. The girls, who knows? Like, I'll let you all leave that up to you. But bit of yeah. a sausage fest. That's that's. The it is a sausage fest, but it will skiing out here is an enlightened and refined experience, and I would recommend it to everybody. Yeah, you, actually, it's, it's, it sounds it sounds pretty good, other than yeah. the uh, the ratio there, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a lot on, of buddy. Yeah, well, you know, one of one of my best friends uh, runs offshore. This Irish guy, they they went to Saint Anton every year for ski holiday, and uh, it, it, like Rich said, I haven't, I've never been there, um, but it the, uh, the the I think the reputation is well deserved. It's supposed to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's good, Rich. That's good. Yeah. And I'm still in one piece. It looks uh, cozy. I, I have one more too. day of skiing like tomorrow, so stay tuned. <laughs> Well, um, we got a busy, busy episode this week. We got a, a guest, a popular guest on the Canadian Twitter sphere, uh, Ron Butler uh, of Butler Mortgages. So we'll be bringing him on into the show uh, very, very shortly. But I think there's a lot for us to get into this week, you know, ahead of uh, Ron's commentary. But, uh, you know, we got some some insights from the Bank of Canada last week, which we you know went in depth on this episode. Where basically the Bank of Canada essentially came out and says, "Hey, listen, guys, you know here's 25 basis points, and we're gonna pause and and we're gonna wait and see, you know, moving forward on how the data progresses." So you know the first central bank in the G7 to hit the pause button, 
And then, of course, we had a slew of central bankers this week. Uh, so we had the Fed out this week. We had the Bank of England and, of course, the ECB, the economic fantasy land, uh, all coming out with their rate hike announcements. So, um, Keith, I don't know if you want to start things off with the Fed, um, sort of your your reaction to the Fed raising uh, 25 basis points, which was expected. Uh, but I think more importantly was the presser from Jay Powell afterwards. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, you know, um, I, I've been a big fan of the Fed, you know, in the cool world of nerds, if you're a fan of a central banker, you know, where you rank up there. Um, but it, it was it was pretty disappointing. And a lot of the guys I know as well, like they were extremely, um, I don't know, it's confused. He just did not do what he's been saying he was going to do. So he he basically rolled over and, um, you know, he left the door open to do stuff. They didn't say, hey, we're finished, you know, like the Bank of Canada did. But it, it was a, a bit of a, a dovish presser at the end. So, uh, and, you know, Rich is going to show us some of the data, which is supportive of that. But the big, I mean, the big analogy with, or the big story now with with the Fed, they're, they have this opportunity. It's like, a, it's a central banker's dream. You know, there's no risk ever, you know, things are under control and then boom, you know, inflation comes out crazy. Now is your chance to shine. And the only other period they had to compare this to, you know, was back in the in the late 70s and early 80s. And it was a story of two central bankers then. So one was uh, Burns. What, what's Burns? Arthur Burns. Yeah. Arthur Burns. And uh, for political reasons, he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do. He wasn't able to raise rates aggressively and just try to just 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 stamp it out. Um, and then uh, Volcker came along and he did have the political uh, support to do it. But then he wimped out after the first attempt because he cut rates after the recession came along. And then he came back aggressive. And, and so this is one thing that Powell has talked about several times. You know, they have that period to compare to. And so he was being, um, you know, placed on the same side as, as Volcker, except he wasn't going to make the Volcker mistake. But after yesterday, now people are comparing him to Burns. So uh, in Ouch. in the world of, yeah, in, in the world of, you know, central bank land, it's, you know, you're gone from, you know, having a good time at St. Anton doing stuff to, you know, being the cool kid on the block. And now you're you know, at the smallest hill on over in Prince Edward Island. There is a hill on PEI. Have you ever been there? Me? No, I'd love to. I want to go on the bridge. I want to go on the, well, there's what, a ski the Confederation hill Bridge. Yeah, yeah. That's a good Keith. bit of fun. There's a ski hill there as well. But anyway, the, but the, the Fed announcement, uh, the market reaction was saying, hey, risk full on. And then for the sake of time here, if we compare that now to what the Canadians did and then what the Europeans did this morning and the same with the Brits, Everything is now set up for the you know the, the big pause coming up. So it's you know it seems like it's party on. It's Saint well, Anton on in the central bank world, Rich. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I think I mean we'll we'll definitely expand on that. Um, but I think uh, it was interesting actually. The Fed actually called out the Bank of Canada because they asked you know would you consider I guess pausing and then sort of reassessing and then maybe hiking again uh and and so the Fed's like well no we're not going to do you know what the Bank of Canada has alluded to what they're going to do which is you know they've officially paused and and will sort of reassess uh so but you know Keith was your interpretation of of you know the whole speech there basically it was a I wouldn't call it a pivot but really quite a dovish sort of speech there 
No, because if again you you hear what you want to hear. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. And you you want to hear like and again you go back to the Jackson Hole when he came out he was pissed off he talked for forty seconds and dropped the mic and left, right? That's what it was, and it was you know very passive the way he was talking yesterday. Anyway, that's that's where we are now, right? So that's what we have to uh, deal with. So now the conversation is next going to roll over to is the recession. Because the other thing that the Fed did yesterday, they, they were somewhat taking a victory lap, similar to what the Canadians did last week. So he was saying, yeah, you know, we were, we, you know, in our scenario where we're looking right now, we, we think we've achieved this. Inflation's going to come down. We'll maintain, you know, strong employment and all that stuff so it's it's if you listen to them all and the fact that he did mention bank of canada you know they talk to each other all the time they do they're largely using the same playbook this morning i was mapping out you know the, the rate increases by the ecb and the boe and then the canadian like it's it, it's all going in the same direction which of course leads to this concept that i that i call or i uh I refer to all the time is that risk has been synchronized. So we're either going to get this real incredible, nice, soft landing. Everything is awesome. Or something's going to get screwed up here and we'll be, you know, have a real quick round trip. Rich, what are your, what are your thoughts? Cause it definitely feels like, you know, sticking to the fed uh, and the BOC here for a minute, but um, definitely feels like people or markets anyways are pricing in sort of the the ongoing narrative, which is the soft landing. And it seems like there's hope that we can achieve that. And and so, you know, the people are sort of writing this this fairy tale ending. Um, I don't know how you're looking at things these days, but just kind of curious your thoughts on obviously the, the big announcement. Sure. I mean, um, so just to give people sort of some context, we're, you know, so the, what I think the the Fed's at 475, the, the Bank of England moved 50 basis points up to four, and the ECB did the same, I think is at uh, two and a half now. Um, both the ECB, the ECB said, you know, they're not done. The BOE was more sanguine. I think this all sort of um, boils down to the fact that people are taking a victory lap on inflation. And I think this is where I think I'm going to start to push back harder and harder. I think everyone's, not when I say everyone, I think the market seems convinced that the inflation is like no longer a problem it's in the rearview mirror and this is where i just i think that that's where a lot of this sort of um you know the expectations of cuts expectations of the pauses whether it's in the bank of canada or or in the or in the fed are coming from i think that's where it's derived um you know there's worries about the you know economic activity i get that you know we'll talk about the ism a little bit later but ultimately i think that that's that's it and and maybe this is not the right week to talk about sort of my, my prognostications on inflation and why I just think it could surprise people, you know, you know, it could surprise people to the upside. I think over the next little while, I think right when everyone's sort of convinced it's done, I think if you, if you dig a little deeper, I think that there's, I think there's, we could really make a case that that is not at all done. Um, but anyway, so, but, but as far as like what's doing well, I think it's, we have to be really skeptical, I think, um, of the leaders coming out of the year. So the leaders are basically all the stuff that sucked last year, um, and and not, not I'm not to say that you shouldn't own these things because they I mean I I saw some fantastic I mean Spotify's up 30, 40 percent or whatever I mean Meta Bitcoin Keith Bitcoin's the best performing asset on one, on the ones that I I cover I think it's up up 43 percent year to date but it's just that I think I'm always just a little bit skeptical whenever you see like all the losers from last year or all the winners from this year and it's sort of related to this uh, long duration 
um, lower interest rates, lower fi financial conditions. I mean, it's all sort of still related, right? It's tech, um, um, communication services, and consumer discretionary. That's all up um, in, in a world where it's, just, you know, it's that same long duration bond trade, basically, as we've discussed many times. Um, I think I saw that in the Globe and Mail today as well, yeah? Oh, uh, I don't read the Globe and Mail. <laughs> Damn it, Rich. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, to, to, your, the joke. <laughs> to, to your point there, um, you know, and I, I, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the inflation. I mean, like I'm personally a bit of a dis disinflationist, I suppose. Um, but I do worry to your point that <laughs> has inflation really been killed? Like, is, does it come back? And to Keith's point earlier, right. You know, the Arthur Burns Volcker situation, you know, central banks politically will ease the first time around and then for inflation to come rip roaring back. Is that like, you know, inflation comes ripping back sometime in 2024 and we're, we're back to sort of square one. I mean, that seems like a, a, a very decent probability. Um, and, and, you know, what's interesting as we bring on Ron Butler here in just a minute, you know, you see the equity markets going up, you get this wealth effect from that. There was actually an interesting paper uh, that was put out, um, an academic paper that was brought in through the Fed there. Uh, it says that the wave of early retirements in the US was due to boomers experiencing huge home price appreciation. So thus they felt wealthy enough to not work anymore. Um, so, you know, if we do have this hypothetical bottom in the housing market and in the equity markets, um, I think that certainly makes the inflation fight a little bit more challenging. There's also uh, like, the, there's one more thing on the inflation thing and not to like, you know, um, not to, just to really hammer it home quickly before we, we introduce our guest. But it's just like, you know, everybody talks about these contributions. So you had these massive upswings in particular contributions, new, uh, I think it was uh, used cars or, you know, all these like esoteric, tiny, outsized, massive contributors. And what we're starting, everyone's taking victory laps because used cars are down 10%. What they don't quite figure out, though, is that contribution is not going to go from plus 3% or 2% or whatever to negative. It just goes back to its um, it's like it's long-term average of contribution. That is to say zero. So if it's not going to give, it's not going to drag on inflation. It's just going to stop lifting it up. And then that's, and so when you consider the services components based on wages and strong, a uh, strong labor market, we can argue about the validity of the labor market a little later, but it's just, it'll be interesting to see um, how this plays out. I mean, and then you look at stuff like copper and usually that's a really good lead. And all of a sudden you're starting to see that and on other industrial metals, I think it'll be fascinating to see, it'll really throw people offside if the rest of the year is one where everyone who was, you know, taking a victory lap on inflation is proven wrong, uh, including the Fed and our boy Tiff. But so speaking of victory laps, we've got some victory laps uh, happening right now in the housing market uh, from from some people in the industry, certainly not from uh, our boy Ron Butler. But let's uh, let's bring Ron in right now. I'm here. Here I am. Made it. <laughs> Thanks for coming on to the show. We are uh, a highly anticipated, the first inaugural guest of the Looney Hour show. How does it's it an feel? honor. It's an honor. Thank you. Yeah, no, we're, uh, so we were just talking before you got on the show here, we're talking about, uh, you know, the the central bank, uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to call it a pivot, but the pause, people are now optimistic, you know, markets are all excited, equity markets obviously taken off. Uh, and there's a lot of optimism these days in the housing market in Canada. Uh, of course, you know, people, I think, maybe getting a little prematurely excited about, uh, you know, the the resurgence of 
some houses coming back into multiple offers, open houses being busier. Have we reached the bottom of the Canadian housing market already? Uh, I'm kind of curious your thoughts. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. We won't hold you to any forecasts, obviously, but. Well, you know, premature anything is generally frowned upon. You know, that, <laughs> that's not the best. That's not the best option for sure. Um, look, it's it's like this. I mean, the last three months, the last quarter of 2022 was about as appalling as it could possibly be for real estate in Canada. You know, we're just looking at 20, 24 year lows in sales activity. Um, so there's a degree of pent up demand. We see some fixed rates below five. Uh, that's interesting to some people. And, you know, we've got a flurry going on right now. Uh, I think that we'll see uh, that it, it's not going to be a great year. Uh, it's not going to suddenly revive and jump up to being similar to 2020 and or the ridiculous year of 2021. Uh, you know, it will be just a, a not good year in uh, Canadian real estate this year. Um, as far as the Bank of Canada is concerned, my thoughts on it are that the Bank of Canada governor is probably tired of looking like an idiot. And, uh, you know, he's wrong on inflation, wrong on low for low rates for long, got an opposition leader who wants to fire him, like stating it openly. Yeah, that guy's got to go. So I got a feeling he's tired of being wrong and there will be no rate increase in March. It just won't happen, uh, barring some kind of insane uh, jump in inflation or a, 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 the continuation of the phony Canadian jobs report, but this time we're going to jump into quarter million or something ridiculous. Um, you know, outside of crazy outliers, um, no, there will be no increase in uh, in March. So it's that's a good point, Keith. We had a we had a big revision there, or the four hundred thousand uh, revision, I think, to the jobs jobs numbers in Canada. So the uh, the random number generator strikes again. I remember we were talking about that when it when it came out a, a few weeks ago. Um, hey, Ron. Uh, so first of all, I guess Steve didn't tell you this is a casual day show when we do it. So I do appreciate the shirt and tie. But next time, this is this is my casual appearance every day. <laughs> this is how I appear every day. This, this is uh, this is me. This is my version of a uh, of a 49ers uh, game jersey. This is it. I like that. I, I like that. Uh, why don't you share with us? I don't know your. I know this much of everything. So, um, sh share with us though. Like on, on your desk, are you seeing some certain institutions being more aggressive to get market share now, or has everyone retracted at the same time? Like, are you seeing a? You know, I don't want you to share with us who the dominant player is or anything, but are you noticing anything that would leads you to think based on what you've experienced before to say, hey, these guys have always been more right than wrong or more wrong than right to give you, you know, a little bit of more clarity on where, you know, the market might go in, in the next few quarters. Well, as far as the Canadian banks are concerned, they're all going to have fairly lousy quarters uh, for the next uh, couple of quarters. I mean, that just is what it is. Their mortgage origination volumes way down. Um, some of them, not all, but some of them have persistent NIMS problems um, that aren't going away. And this was talking to a couple of them actually uh, last week. Um, the NIMS problems aren't going away and the uh, 
And there's no there's no ability to to crank up volume, and the quarters that are gone are gone already. They're lost. So the so and the pipeline for the next quarter is bad. So it's going to be a bunch of uh, poor residential in in the banking world. You call it uh, razzle. You call it real estate secured lending. And it's going to be a lot of lousy uh, razzle results in terms of origination. So that's just going to be two lousy quarters. Uh, there's no question. What, what about uh, what about provisioning for loan losses? Like, have you had that conversation with them? Because if you go back, you know, say over the last decade, and use you know one of the blue shirt banks as an example, you know, their numbers, what they have allocated today, it's 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 really in line with what they've had over over the last ten years. So one one of the thoughts that we have with with this is that. We know the economic cycle today is nowhere close to being the same at any point over the last 10 years, yet their dollar amount of provisioning, it, it's, you know, it's not out of whack, but their, um, their, their mortgages that they've been originating, what's left on their books, has to be more than what it was in the past. So in, in my mind, with the banks, if there's any surprise coming up, is that they do have to, have to play, you know, a you know, a rapid catch up on, on that side of, of the uh, of, of their of their income statement. Are you hearing anything like that from them? Any concern or is it just, hey, it's a soft landing, nothing to worry about? It's it's 90 day default numbers in Canada it went from 14 beeps to 15 beeps, which is still if you talk to uh, bankers in the United States, they just tell you that's you're, you're that's indicative of you being way too conservative. You know, if you're not running 35 beeps, uh, 90 day default, there's something wrong with you. Uh, so it, it's great numbers, and it's but it's going to erode. It's going to erode very gradually. It's going to never probably going to get past 35. Um, there's going to be additional provisioning in a gradual way. There's a because there's one thing that's sort of changed a lot since. Uh, over the last 10 years, particularly. Um, the Canadian banks offload, not intentionally, but just by default, have offloaded a ton of mortgages to the to alternative lenders. The, the private mortgage industry, the, the, the mix, the mortgage investment corporations, the growth in that industry over the last 10 years has been phenomenal. So they've taken a lot of the really problematic business or the marginal business or the things that the bank might have thought about at one time, but just didn't do. Um, and, they, and they've provided those companies and those organizations, those even private lending individuals have uh, really become a, a, a segment of the marketplace that wasn't the same 10 or 15 years ago. So a lot of the truly problematic loans uh, or the marginal loans are are not even on the bank's books. Uh, they're somewhere else. And that's why when we see in the Ontario region, when we see power of sale, uh, that's our version for what we call foreclosure here. When we see that go up, the names beside the people selling the houses are rarely ever banks right now. They are some sort of private lending operation. So that's indicative of, uh, of something. And uh, I, I, I think that it's just a case of the banks are not that exposed yet. They will be eventually, but not right now. Ron, do you think that uh, that inherently makes the overall system or the market maybe more vulnerable or risky? That you've got more and more share market share going towards you know private lenders, you know mix of that nature. Um, what's your what's your kind of take on that? Well, once their losses on properties burn them down, they're going to be much less a concern because they're not going to exist. They're going to be insolvent. 
but um, in it's, it's a great thing for the Canadian banks. I mean, when you listen to Peter Rutledge, uh, the bank regulator, talk about even further tightening of mortgage rules, I believe that his, some of his thoughts are, we have a facility available to take up the slack anyway. And it's a facility in the private mortgage world, in the MIC world, which I don't have to regulate. So uh, I would, I'm happy to offload more lending to those organizations. I mean, that's a back of the mind idea, but uh, what he's observed is during the great run-up and the astronomical amount of mortgage origination that took place in 2021, when you audit those files, they're pretty good files. Uh, they have the they have the possible problem of having too many co-signers. Like the, it was the 2021 was the biggest year of more than two applicants on a mortgage application in the history of the country. So there's just a lot of people who co-signed. But uh, yeah, I, I think definitely we're going to see an increase in delinquency, an increase in default. But it's not going to be, in my judgment, it's not going to be something that's going to be unmanageable for these five uh, you know, untouchable banks. So I have a so question. Can I, can I jump in? Oh, oh, sorry, yeah, Rich, go ahead. Go ahead. So first of all, hi, hi, Ron. Thanks for joining us today. I'm a big fan. I've been following you in a long time on Twitter, and I really appreciate um, the content you give out um, for free, uh, even Thanks. though sometimes I don't, I don't understand it. Um, my, my, the, the tone you're striking is one of quite someone who's quite sanguine on the possibility of a structural and prolonged down leg in, let's call it one of, if not the most overvalued housing markets in the world. And the way I would describe that is sort of the regular stuff of house price per income, house price to rent ratios, and then comparing things like residential investment relative to GDP or overall investment. And, you've, and then comparing those cross country and across time. Um, and whenever you have those bubble type numbers, again, it's a little bit difficult to describe a bubble when you're in it, but you know, whether it's Ireland, um, you know, Spain, um, Japan, or the US, it, it, it always ends in tears. And what the way that you've sort of outlined it, maybe I've mischaracterized it, is, is something that you have sort of a soft landing, forgive the expression, in that market. Is there something that I'm missing for someone who's sort of a top-down guy and maybe doesn't spend as much time on Canada? Well, Ireland has 8 million citizens. It's a tiny country. Spain was entirely a promotion of uh, a vacation home building. Uh, the United States was a scenario where every single bank-generated mortgage product was garbage. I mean, there was uh, the, you had uh, uh, Chase, um, you had Chase issuing paper, uh, what they considered AAA, where the average FICO, when the minimum FICO score was 525. So, you know, if you study the 2008 USA disaster, you discover that it was effectively an underwriting disaster. It was a crazy disconnect of uh, banks finding a way to offload hellacious loans to uh, other parties. And the, the, the amount of ninja loans just grew beyond the capacity of the marketplace to handle it. So there are some fundamental differences between all of those scenarios you just described. What's happened? What's what's different about Canada? Hey, I agree with everything you said. The uh, average income to average house price ratio is batshit crazy. It doesn't make any sense. The overall prices of homes in Canada, almost right across Canada. I mean, why the hell would you have uh, the price of homes in Moncton, New Brunswick go up 35, 40% in one year? It's absolutely crazy. It, it's all wrong. Everything you described is true. 
But we have some unique things going on in Canada. We import more people to this country every year than any other um, G7 country by a long shot, by like, um, in some cases, by a geometric increase. So, uh, you know, we have some underlying structures here. We don't build enough. Ron, Ron, one, yeah. one, one, yeah. one second, Ron. Yeah. You use the word geometric. Now you're now you're trumping rich. You usually use calls about the diffusion index, which causes everyone to <laughs> sort of go off sides. So I, I think Ron could be a regular, uh, you know, member of the Looney Hour for for using that. I love geometric uh, data, by the way. Well, when you when you have some countries that have zero immigration and you have Canada, it's it's almost geometric. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so Ron, just to, uh, you alluded uh, earlier to your, to our buddy here, uh, Peter Rutledge at OSFI. Uh, so he's come out and made some proposals that they're sort of discussing, I guess, internally, they're doing some reviews and uh, they've talked obviously about more credit tightening. Do you have any sort of update on that? Uh, any, any inklings uh, that you're able or willing to share uh, today in terms oh, of no, how you there, think there, that might There's go? no update. There's no inklings. They're going to talk to probably like 150 stakeholders and only listen to the people at the big five banks uh, opinions. <laughs> and uh, they're going to, but they're going to come out with a bit, bit more tough guidelines. They're going to, they, you know, Rutledge his background at national bank. Uh, you know, he was, the, as you pointed out, he's the author of a report that he thought that, 33% of all the investment properties in the Vancouver area were owned by offshore, were funded through offshore money. So he has a, a, an affinity for, you know, the fact that there is a bizarre level of investment amongst Canadians and a desire for to have investment property. And in the back of his mind, and not just Canadians, but uh, others to, and in the back of his mind, he says to himself, like, let me put it this way, two and a half years ago, the regulator floated a balloon that, hey, I don't think that it's a good idea that people take a HELOC, a home equity line of credit on their house, extract 20% down payment, and then go out and buy a rental property, get a mortgage on that at a variable rate. You know, we think that's probably a bad idea and we should ban that. And then for whatever political reason that went away, that just died a, a quiet death. Uh, but I think he wants to revisit the idea that there has to be a better relationship between the totality of lending that the individual has in a mortgage and what what their income is like uh, that seems to be the clear message <laughs> that seems like terrifyingly obvious to anybody with brain terrifyingly obvious yes terrifyingly obvious that's correct yeah but yeah i mean the the idea though of of borrowing on the on the heloc to to buy a secondary investment property obviously looks pretty compelling when the rates are at one and a half percent uh and, you know and the, and the heloc is 295 yeah exactly yeah yeah. Much less so today, obviously, with your, uh, what's your HELOC at today? 7.2, 7. 7.2, yeah. 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 So hey, Ron, also an it's also an indictment on Canada's productivity growth, which of which we have none, and um, and the fact that we don't invest in anything outside of residential uh, residential investment, right? Uh, gross fixed capital formation is 45% res resi. Compare that with the US, which is less than 20. So it's just an interesting uh, comparison, but... Oh, you, you'll never hear me fight the idea that our, our pricing doesn't make sense, our uh, relationship of average income to house price doesn't make sense, the level of uh, individual debt uh, and versus, it, I mean, none of those things make sense in this country. They don't make any sense in Australia, they don't make any sense in New Zealand, which are, by the way, are all other countries where there is a massive amount of foreign capital that comes in to buy real estate every year and has historically for a long time. Uh, but set all that aside, uh, I, the reason I'm not I'm not calling for some kind of mortgage and real estate apocalypse in Canada is that 
a lot of the bank mortgages are reasonably well underwritten. They some of the experience of deep price discounting, deep price fall is in very specific areas. And when you start to dig into who financed some of those ridiculous run-ups, so we go to, you know, in, in Vancouver, the Vancouver area, lower mainland, you can go out into the Fraser Valley and go out to a little town called Chilliwack. It's the name of a rock band too. But anyway, the uh, the, the, the prices were increased about 50% in one year in that locality. And there people were buying those houses. They've now retraced by about 35 or 40%. Same thing here in Ontario. There's a suburb called Oxbridge, that's retraced 35%. Old town called Oshawa, that's retraced 35%, 30-35%. So we have these regional retracements and prices that are going on, but it's all not, the power of sale action in those areas, which exists, people are taking, and some people are just plain taking the loss. They're just taking the loss, they lose all the money from the sale of their previous home and flee, uh, but there is power of sale activity in those areas, and if you look again, you look at the people who hold those loans. They are—they're um, not typically the big five banks. Hey, Ron, I'll ask you one more question. Go ahead. Sorry. Whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> um, that example you just gave, um, Uxbridge. What did you call that town? Uxbridge. Okay. So you said people are just selling, taking their loss. Why are they selling? Is it because it's an investment? Well, property? they had a variable rate mortgage, and they well, they, bought a, they bought a they uh, bought a house, uh, they bought a a, a townhome for one point four million. That's now retraced to a million, and uh, they had a variable rate mortgage that so they can't pay the mortgage anymore. Uh, but they sold a house, and they had a six hundred thousand dollar down payment because they sold a house during the big run up to buy the next property, or they sold a condo. They made some big money on they sold something to get into that home or they got gifted money from their parents whatever the case may be and they have you know they just bought at the worst possible time had a variable rate the payments are completely unmanageable and they're just going to take their lumps they're going to maybe if they have a shortfall at closing of fifty thousand, they're going to go back to the bank of mom and dad get that money get out from under it's a tragic financial loss this is like a life altering for the average person average couple that's kind of a life-altering loss but yeah, you know, we just it just we saw one close just the other day uh, it was a loss of four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. i just have one more question i know rich has one as well um talk about because you know you know for, i see what you're what you have on twitter you know recently and you know I'm, I'm sensing there's more enthusiasm today than it was you know in q4 and q3 yeah, and stuff definitely definitely yeah why what's driving the enthusiasm what what's different for people today than it was three six months ago is this just simply price or has something changed with their specific household income or was it year-end bonuses or, or something so what it was it, it generally falls under the rubric of fed up with waiting uh now these purchases tend to be under a million some of them are under seven hundred thousand. um they are people who've been looking at real estate for a year and a half they've noticed that in, in many cases the multiple bids have gone away Rates have fallen. If you go back to uh, Q3 and Q4 last year, most mortgage rates had a five in front of them. Uh, now it's not too hard to get a mortgage with a four in front of it. And just that sort of minor affordability change and just fed up with waiting. And okay, now there's, I, I, that's a, this is a condo I like. This is a condo I like. I had this conversation with a client uh, just last week. I said, you're buying now? I thought you were going to wait till the spring or the summer. He says, I just got fed up. 
I just got fed up and I found a condo I liked and there was no multiple bids and uh, I just decided to, to, to buy. It's, it's interesting because we're seeing it across our network as well because we know a lot of people that they've been waiting on their sideline and all of a sudden, you know, and now it's starting to, to percolate a little bit. Uh, Rich, what did you have? Because I know uh, I sort of jumped in front of you there a few minutes ago. No, no, it's all good. So my question related actually was related to your question, which is why people might sell. But it's it's sort of the next sort of looking ahead a little bit. I mean, we've talked a lot about um, the great rate reset, right? You know, there's countries like uh, Australia that has 90% of their mortgages are variable. You mentioned New Zealand, which is a similar situation. Canada, we have fixed rate mortgages, but that's a misnomer completely. Two years is not fixed for anything um, or five years even. Uh, compared that obviously with the US where it's a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Um, have we made too much of it as far as the expectations that over the next, you know, two or three years that people are going to get totally sidelined by these much, much higher mortgage um, payments? And mortgage can, I actually add, can I add to that as well, Ron? Sure. That's actually leading to my question as well, which was, do you, because like a lot of the narratives, at least you go on Twitter, a lot of the narrative was, well, well, you're going to see a flood of listings. People can no longer afford their homes. Um, you know, rates are up obviously significantly. So do you, yeah, do you, to, to add on to Rich's question, do you foresee, um, sort of a wave of new, cause one of the challenges that we're dealing with in the housing market right now in Vancouver and Toronto, when you look at the data, it's like new listings are running at like 20 year lows, um, which is obviously supporting the prices, at least in the near term. Uh, so I'm kind of curious if you, in your opinion, anyways, um, where, where that might lead. Sure. I'll, I'll start by answering that like this. When you talk to every risk off, chief risk officer at every bank and ask them what their concerns are about mortgage default, they say there's three keys, uh, employment, employment, and employment. Okay. So at this moment in time, we don't have major employment. I lived in Alberta when there was something called jingle mail that people would take their keys and, you know, banks used to have this big box you could pull open and drop, uh, you know, designed to drop deposits into in the middle of the night. When you ran a store or something, you closed up, you'd drop. Well, people started dropping their keys into it with a note that says, yeah, I've left. I've moved away. I take my house. I mean, that, that's because they had no jobs. They lost their jobs. There were no jobs. And this was going back to more or less the Bronze Age when Pierre Elliott Trudeau had something called the National Energy Policy. So, uh, so there, there have been those experiences, but we don't have any kind of employment problem in the major real estate markets of the lower mainland or on Southern Ontario or, or in, in Montreal right now, we don't have any kind of significant unemployment issues that yeah, may change. And that change <laughs> is the change. If you, if you look at, if you can say, well, a year from now, there's gonna be a severe un recession and a big unemployment problem or six months from now, there's gonna be a really bad recession and a big unemployment problem. Then all of a sudden you are gonna see some listings you are gonna see some mayhem in the marketplaces. But again, if you talk to any risk officers at major financial institutions, they say, we think rates traditionally do not cause, except in specific situations, like the people who are leveraged, people who have three homes and too much HELOC and too much variable rate. Only, but the person with one home and a variable rate, they're probably gonna find a way. They're, find, they're gonna find a way to get through it. Or they may just, Want to wait till the spring? We may see more inventory in, of uh, listings in the spring, but it's employment in the in the mortgage business in, in in the default mortgage business. Employment is the key. Good point. I think uh, Keith, do you have a, one more question? Because I got one more, and then we'll let Ron go. Yeah, I have just one more. Um, I, I'm just 
you know, the whole time I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm looking at the, the paintings or the pictures behind you on, on the wall for people. Now, I'm wondering if, if that is somehow a symbolic of uh, homeowners or people with multiple homes, you know, what's happening these days. So people can't well, see actually, it. The name of one of the paintings is the, the, the butler singing. So that, that might have something to do with it. So. <laughs> Maybe so. What, what do you have there, uh, Steve? Yeah, yeah just to kind of kind of wrap it up, it actually comes back to I guess the initial part of our dialogue there, Ron. Uh, you mentioned your your you know some conversations with with people at the banks and uh, you know some discussions around you know NIMS net interest margins, uh, you know some some issues there, and I think we had chatted about it on Twitter uh, not too long ago where. You know, kind of curious what your what your view or outlook is on on uh you know mortgage rates because you know one of the things we've chatted about is if you look at where the Canada 5 year bond yield is today which historically prices your 5 year fixed mortgage rate so your Canada 5 year today is at about 2.9%. Uh historically that's a level that suggests that your 5 year fixed mortgage should be in the low fours. Today, obviously, I'm sure you'll you'll be able to tell everybody that you know your five year mortgage, if you're lucky, you might be able to get it at you know four point eight, uh, you know, give or take. So, do you foresee those net interest margins starting to sort of, you know, figure themselves out and and fixed rates to come back down, or are banks just being a little bit more conservative right now, and 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 rates are going to stay kind of where they are despite what's happening in the bond market? Well, there's a there's a credit credit swap and a general liquidity component that ha has to do with these rates. When you were seeing those rates that were generally produced low fours, uh, liquidity was infinite in the Canadian marketplace. It just is not the same way today. I mean, there's there's all kinds of factors that lead us to that. But yeah, the, by the way, you if you want to fork over, if you want to buy a house for under a million dollars and only put ten percent down, um, I can get you a four point two nine five-year fixed rate. So there are some low five-year fixed rates in the market. God bless um, CMHC. But yeah, we go, you have to talk to CMHC. About $40,000 in insurance premium too. So be prepared. It's big money. Uh, the The bottom line is, is that uh, there's just not as much liquidity in the market. Credit swaps aren't where they're at. But will five-year and three-year fixed rates, uh, even two-year, uh, grind down? In, in all probability, yes. One of the big questions we have to ask ourselves, though, is are we going to ever see a rate with a one or a two in front of it in the near future? Uh, well, I'm 65 and really fat, so the chances of me seeing it in my lifetime are low, in my opinion. I mean, I don't think we're going to see rates with a one or a two in front of it for a long time again. And that will be a kind of a drag on the whole Canadian real estate market. Rates in the mid threes to low fours, the average pricing in some of these, um, some of our provinces, it's very hard to have a buoyant real estate market uh, with those kind of rates. It's just hard. It doesn't mean that it'll be, it'll just dry up, but it means it's going to be a lot tougher in the coming years. Because I don't think we're going to see a rate with a one in front, mortgage rate, the one in front of it or two in front of it for quite a while. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I would agree. Yeah. I, Do you I mean, mean like 11 or 12% or 20%? Is that the direction? No, I, I mean <laughs> that in in uh, in late 2020 and part of 2021, I we were handing out uh, five-year fixed rates for 1.59 to 1.79%. 
So uh, that creates a very buoyant housing market. That, that makes more I'm sense. I'm shocked that the rates the, went up uh, at all. I'm shocked the rates went up at all. We were told they were going to stay very low for a very, very long very, time. Well, so. well, not, there's not, not not two varies, but there is one vary. There <laughs> Sorry, was one vary. I stand corrected. For a long time. So, but Rich, my, my Rich is somewhat British, so he likes to you know really be... You got to recall, inflation was only transitory for a long time. Just a long time we heard that. Very long. That's right. That's right. Now we now we've got to figure it figured out, and the bull market's back on, baby. Uh, no, we'll uh, we'll we'll see, Ron. I uh, you know really appreciate your your time and uh, yeah, your insights. You know, just for sharing, uh, and always a very very good balanced, humble view of the markets. Um, so really appreciate that, and um, I'm sure we'd we'd love to have you back on. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, guys. Take care, Thank Ron. You. Take care. Well, I, Ron was uh, lived up to the lived up to the hype for the first. Yeah. Uh, How do you feel, man? Like we've been having our like our after after school special hangout for over a year now, and then you bring a new kid on. I'm not quite <laughs> sure. I'm not, How do you feel about that? That was fun though. That spice was it up. Fun. It keeps you it keeps you on your toes. I think. Uh, yeah, but I mean, there's there's. I could have kept going and just. Uh, I had so many more questions. So um, we'll save great, it for next time. Hopefully, he'll join us again. Yeah, great follow on Twitter. Um, you look him up on Twitter. There, I don't have his handle in front of me, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that kind of you know paints the picture of what we're seeing in the housing market. Just a quick uh, update on sort of the, some of the Vancouver numbers here, and, and even in the in Toronto. So Vancouver, we had. Uh, the fewest home sales for January since 2009 and the fewest number of new listings uh, since uh, 2004. So I initially put out a 25 year, but it was you know, some of the data came through a bit late. So, but yeah, and lowest Steve, listings. So Steve, is, can you, can that be adjusted for like the, the amount of inventory, for example? No, it's uh, not. That's just, that's just like this, the raw, that's the raw figure. So that's not like seasonally yeah. adjusted or adjusted for population or like, this is just the raw number. So when you factor so it, it has to be even worse than, you know, what I think, was it 09 that you compared it to or 08? What was the, uh, so fewest home sales since 2009, since 2009. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the January, but there, were more, was but there were more homes available to be sold if people chose to sell them. That's my point, though. It's yeah. it's a pretty dramatic uh, decline. Well, what's what's the month's supply? Do you because I know I, I have it. From the US, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't have it in front of me. It's gonna be. In, I think it's gonna be in the threes, um, which is low. That's um, pretty I mean, tight, right? If you Normally look at if you, if you look at standing inventory, people get all upset about this. It's like that. Ah, this is just what the data is showing us. Uh, if you look at standing inventory. It's really low. Uh, so that's like that's literally just like how many houses are on the market for sale right now. And it's it's it it's coincides like every time you go back and you look at every bull market, like the level of inventory that we have right now suggests to me that without the weak demand that we have, if you just had let's say a, a normal amount of demand, you would have double digit price growth. Minimum, given given where the level of inventory is. Now, again, I think the inventory, I, I think, and hopefully it begins to sort of increase and, and we get a little bit more balance in that market. But that's what's happening. That's what's happening in the GTA as well. You know, sales are still really weak, but there's also not a lot for people to actually go out and buy. So it's kind of this fake market that it's really hard to to say you've got one direction or the other. I mean, people are saying, well, there's multiple offers. Well, there's multiple offers because there's literally nothing for sale. Um, so 
we still have to wait for that inventory thing. I mean, you mentioned this a couple of months ago. You were you're not going to call it whatever it is um, until we sort of see that spring, early summer in like um, inventory come online. I think you've mentioned that a couple of times to us. Right? Yeah, it's just it's too. There's just activities are usually pretty thin in December, January, because like, again, inventory is always typically low. So it's it's really tough to sort of extrapolate and say, well, based on the last six weeks, this is what is going to happen sure. for the rest of the year. Um, so yeah, I think it's way too early to be making any calls, but certainly I can tell you that from a behavioral sentiment perspective, sentiment has improved. Um, but I think that sentiment was, I think sentiment was, was overly bearish. It was way like too pessimistic. Um, and I, I guess as it should be, you know, people were nervous about inflation. Bank of Canada comes out, raises rates, hundred basis points at one of their meetings. Like, of course people were scared. And now that I think they're like, okay, well, you know, he's saying he's going to pause rates and fixed rate mortgages are coming down. Maybe not a lot, but they've come down. So I think that people have a little bit more clarity on what they're, what boring rates are going to be. I think it's giving them a little, a little bit, a little bit more confidence to reenter the market. Well, it's funny you should say that because like, you could almost use the exact that description for the equity market and what we've sort of seen, which is, you know, uh, the pause was sort of some more visibility on what's going on in the interest rates. That sentiment was way, way, way too low, or you can make the case is still quite low and it's sort of improved. Um, anyway, it's just that's sort of I just think it's funny that you can actually make almost the exact same sort of commentary for the housing market in Canada and um, what's going on in U.S. equities, especially, but also the rest of the world. I mean, it tells you sort of it really is and in some ways quite the speculative asset, um, Canadian housing. But um, I, I mean, that's the thing, though, right? It's like, I mean, Keith mentioned it earlier, which is all these markets, global financial markets are all like synchronized now, right? It's like all the central banks are more or less moving in tandem um and and you know financial markets are all just predicated on it's just like this game now that's sort of manipulated by you know central bankers and and they all tend to move in the same direction yeah so i mean two takeaways for me from, from the conversation we just had uh, one is the the disconnect another one is the complacency and, and what's what i mean by disconnect is actually related to the I know, Rich, you're always saying when I ask a question or say something, you always say, I was going to say that, you know, I, I like that. Right? <laughs> I do not it. always do that <laughs> every now and then, every now and then. Um, but the question you asked, you asked Ron was actually was one that I had as well. So in this case, I was going to say that, but that's referring to the disconnect because the the the, the macro aggregate data for the housing market, and everything related to it for Canada, it's just flashing red. You know, it's 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 extreme, as it is for other countries as well. And, and you know, for everyone you know listening, it, it doesn't because there's a risk. It doesn't mean the risk has to occur. It just means that you have to be aware of the risk. And at certain points in time, the probability of that risk, um, you know, being triggered or ignited, it's a lot higher than what it is at, at other times. So right now, in our view, it, it's a very it, the probability is significantly higher than it was in the past. But yet you, the disconnect here though, is when you're chatting with, with the banks and, and everything else is that it, it's you no, know, everything is okay. You know, we're just in this normal cyclical downturn. So that's what I mean by the disconnect and it, it will get reconciled somehow. Either the aggregate macro numbers will become uh, less aggressive or they'll soften somehow. 
um, or on the other side of it, you know, the, the risk actually does get reflected. Uh, but the uh, but I go back to the, the complacency story, and, and we've talked about this quite a bit as well. Canada has never experienced a housing or banking crisis, and for that reason, no one is is prepared for it. And, you know, the, I know we've been talking about it a lot as well. You know, the the population growth and all that is, is, is extremely helpful. But again, we need to be aware that if something did happen to trigger job losses or no job growth, you know, in, in the, you know, the two main housing centers, you know, like Toronto, GTA and, and Vancouver, then yeah, it, it's, it's going to be something, you know, a bit creepy coming along there. So, so disconnected complacency are, are the two main things that came across. Do you want to talk about now, well, before uh, you go on? Before you want to go on, Keith, I just want to add one thing, which is not to you know, Ron's obviously experienced and he knows a lot, but I also think it's, I mean, mortgage lenders are not leading indicators. <laughs> I think that that's just um, with respect. I think bank lending is pro is, is like is a lagging sort of pro cyclical indicator, and I just that's the part where. You know, just because they're not worried about employment now, as you so rightly stated, Keith, doesn't mean that we aren't going to be faced with that prospect um, so, very, very, very soon. But maybe we should let's move touch on. on let's touch on that because I think, like you know, to Ron's point, uh, you know, okay, we're worried about employment, uh, and that's so obviously is going to depend on you know, the, the economic outlook and, and jobs. So, uh, you know, we had some, some reading out of the ISM here, some some jolts numbers, et cetera. Rich, do you want to quickly walk us through that? Uh, you know, we're a little bit short on time here, but give sure. us give us the high level uh, notes here. Well, you know, it's my favorite uh, word in the English language is the diffusion index. And the most important diffusion index, um, I would think in the world, as far as macroeconomic data is the US ISM manufacturing PMI. It's quite the mouthful. We've talked about this a lot regular listeners. Um, it came in um, 47.4. So again, above 50 is sort of expansionary territory. Below 50 is um, contractionary territory. Um, you know, that's sort of that them's the rules. I mean, the things that I look at obviously are um, the other, like the parts of it. So you can see, you know, new orders is contracting at a faster rate. Production is contracting at a faster rate. Um, employment growing at a slower rate. I mean, I can go on and on. We've talked about, it. you can find this online. That's a, I mean, I'm, I think the ISM is the most single, most important indicator. I think economic indicator it's, it tracks global activity. Um, the U S is one of the largest economies in the world and it's got its fingers in many pies, as you can imagine. And when it, as it's going down, I think it's, it's to me is very, very, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's another flashing red signal as far as global growth. Now, We'll see what happens at the ISM services next week. And, um, but, you know, it, can you, we also contrast that and then that, and that's been negative too, by the way. So it'll be really interesting to see if we can get a second negative or sorry, second month um, in a row with the ISM services below 50. And that'll be, I think, the death knell um, to any talk of contraction as far as the US is concerned. May not be true in Europe, but may, definitely not the US. And we also contrast that with the, the, the employment data. So you were going to mention the jolts, Steve. So why don't you you talk about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone again, always gets confused. So the job openings and labor turnover survey. Um, so I'm from, the only one who gets confused. I can never remember. It. The uh, from from what I understand, there was what 11 million job openings. Yeah. Was that correct? And so yeah. and every anyways, the the rhetoric, I suppose, on on you know financial media and Twitter as well. You know, the Fed still hasn't cracked the labor market. Uh, and so they're going to have to keep going. 
and uh, it just continues to be resilient. So I, again, I don't know how much weight to put into that number, but um, curious your thoughts. Well, just another way to think about it is it's almost two jobs per unemployed person, which is really quite a, kind of kind of kind of incredible. Again, there's still loads of skills mismatches. Um, there's loads of people who left the labor force. You alluded to earlier, a lot of boom, baby boomers who are just cashed up and no need. Um, you know, the equity markets went up. I mean, this is why, I mean, quantitative easing is just asinine. It's basically just the handing money from labor to capital. Um, maybe that's a conversation for a different day, but I mean, this is exactly what, why people like me argue against it. Um, I mean, there's also d- data on the, on the employment front that's come out that's not as good. Uh, so there's something called the challenger layoffs. Um, and so basically it's an, it's a, it's an index, I believe, or a count of all of the, uh, job or excuse me, the layoff announcements that companies might have. And they try to aggregate, um, you know, if Apple is getting rid of this or Walmart getting rid of that. And, and they sort of, and obviously it spikes in recessions. And I think we're at the highest level, I want to say in two or or three, was it September 20, September September 2020, September 2020. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's 104,000 off. I'm doing that off memory. So if, if I screwed that up, I apologize. But the, so that's going up a lot. Um, we'll see a lot of them were centered in tech and tech's the be- one of the best performing sectors this year. I think, you know, uh, tech's been over hiring for a long, long time, over earning. All of a sudden people are worried about their earnings the- and their margin contraction. And one way to, to help your margins is by laying off a bunch of people basically and, and controlling spending. It's also probably an indictment on their growth um, outlook and, and, and maybe that's a sort of maybe where I'm getting, I'm, I'm it's too much of a tangent for, for this sort of our, our constrained time, but it really is interesting to see, um, to, to contrast those sort of two uh, economic indicators. Just for the record, the employment um, indicator for the ISM manufacturing is above 50. So it's still, it's growing, but slower. Keith, how are you squaring all this data? It's like, it's, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's like, I, I, you know, I think people can, can pick out the data points that that they want that will suit their narrative. Uh, I think I think anyone, myself included, is guilty of that at times. Um, but how are you looking at this big picture? You know, you get like the jolts numbers, but then you get the ISM that's contracting, and then you get you know this other index that says things aren't so great either. It's like, how are you looking at this? Are you still status quo? Well, no, because now we're we always talk about the path, and now we're, we've shifted to the path where you no. Know, Monitor tightening by central banks, it seems to be almost over, right? Depending on which one. So let's just take that for face value. And now it's going to shift to hey, there's no recession. Everyone has said we're having a soft landing. This is unbelievable. This is this is great. And you know, we've only had one month this year, and you know, equities are doing well. NASDAQ is flying, by the way, not because of earnings, nothing to do with that. It's just me with, with no more rate cuts coming up. Um, rate hikes. Sorry, rate hikes. Sorry. Um, you know, that, that's extremely positive. So it's going to be like a mirrored image what happened with NASDAQ and, and those related sub industries and, and stocks in, in 22. But now we're going to start coming into the is there a recession or not? And right now, the base case is that there's no recession or it's merely a slowdown. So we'll start to see that shift over the next couple of weeks. And then you're going to see financial markets adjust to it. The risk we have now is that it is not a soft landing. So if you look right now, what's the market forecasting for the Bank of Canada? So uh, by December of this year, so Rich, that's 11 months. So it's 12 (laughs) minus one. 
it's going to be uh, 50 basis points cut. That's what the market is suggesting right now. So, you know, and, you know, there's lots of studies. So how long does the central bank, after they stop raising rates, how long before they cut? And then the number goes from like eight to 15 months in, in that range. So it's interesting. That's what they're saying here now for, for the Bank of Canada. But this is a, a finely tuned forecast. It's suggesting that we do have a soft landing. Things maybe struggle a little bit and the bank is able to start making little little tweaks to policy. Um, I'm going to be incredibly shocked and surprised. And is, is is this a British term for you? Flabbergasted? Is that what they say over there, Rich? Sure. No? <laughs> yeah. That's another one. That's another one that the, the Brits say. Yeah. Uh, it's a new uh, era. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I worked with a bunch of Brits. They're 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 funny guys, right? They're just odd. They are odd guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where we're going next, Steve. You know, it's the whole discussion. Is it a recession or not? If it is a recession, then it's it's gonna have you know knock-on effects on you know the the banking and and, and housing uh you know leveraged economies and countries. Yeah, so that's a great. Uh, so, I mean, just to kind of start to get wrapping things up here. But uh, so the Bank of England came out as well, just covering the last two central bankers here. So, the Bank of England, uh, why they raised fifty basis points, and they basically signaled a pause too. Did they not, Rich? They did. Um, all sort of. I mean, it was kind of garbled what they wrote. Uh, I'm looking at the quote right here. Um, well, the ECB first of all said that there's definitely more to go. Um. And then the, the I think the B the B the the UK Bank of England my goodness um, said that I think that they're still they haven't paused but that they're they're getting to the end of it. Keith, what what did you watch uh, any of the ECB presser and do you have any takeaways? I know you you know I know you're fascinated with uh, ECB policy, so I'm curious if there was any takeaways for you there. Yeah, there, there was what it was kind of funny because during the Fed presser last week, it got you know, there was it got salty for a little bit, right? Back to back questions that you know the Fed didn't appreciate, and it, it happened at the ECB today. There was one question that was not appreciated by Lagarde, and, and effectively, um, you know, the, the the gentleman who asked the question, he he more or less phrased, he said, uh, you know. Inflation data is coming down aggressively. Oil is coming off aggressively. The economy is slowing down. Wage growth is is slowing. Everything is already happening. Yet you're telling us that you have to be aggressive to stop inflation. Yet it's it's already happening before your rate hikes have even kicked in. So why are you still trying to sound like a hawk? That was basically the, the question. And uh, you know that was you know very. You know, it was greatly appreciated. No, it wasn't. She hated that question. So, uh, but my point is that now these questions, they are being asked. And, you know, the ECB, they, you know, they they basically said, yeah, we're going to do another 50 basis points hike next month. And then she walked it back a bit. And she said, well, we don't, we're not saying we're definitely going to do it. You know, we won't do it if obviously the, the data has changed. But for what it's worth, it seems like they're they're basically done now next month as well. So again, everything is is synchronized and everyone knows mathematically the numbers are coming off. Oh, one observation I, I wanted to share with you guys now. This is anecdotal. Um, I'm starting to see uh, labor strikes taking place. So it's happening at some of the universities, uh, yeah. different spots in the healthcare sector. And I don't know, I don't know what rate wage rate increases they're, they're asking for 
but again, it, it's it's kind of interesting because you know, with these uh, labor agreements, is living in the past effectively, right? Like this happened the last year or two years. We need to get compensated for that. Whereas you know, the our economy tries to be more forward looking. So anybody that is in a labor negotiation now, um, you know, you get a real nice wage increase with it. Say it's four, six, seven percent, maybe that could happen. Um, you know, you you're probably that, ticking the top of the market, which which is. Did you see you the CRA is asking for a thirty percent wage increase over the next three years? That's ten percent uh, a year. Are they really? Yeah, it was in the news. It was pretty funny. Um, What's their profit margins like these days? Like, are they growing or? <laughs> Well, they Jeez. are growing. They're definitely growing. The ironic part is government, you raise taxes employment. to pay for their wage demands. Um, Keith, Keith, the CRA is definitely growing. <laughs> you know, I think the CRA is awesome. They do great stuff. Um, <laughs> just to share with everyone, I don't know if Steve will or not, but, uh, you know, this was a new format for us today to have someone on. Um, it, it's it's not our plan to do it every single week. We will try to introduce people when when we think it's appropriate. And uh, we we are you know we've already talked about it, but we're going to invite leaders from the three main political parties in Canada to come on for a conversation, as well as the Finmen and, and stuff like that. We don't know if they'll uh, come on board or, or not because you know we have Rich with us, but uh, we're going to see what happens here. So you know, let us know how you guys feel about this, if it's worthwhile or not. And uh, you know we're always seeking uh, you know to make things better here at the yeah Lumion. yeah that's that's a call, that's a call to action if you've got any commentary on the uh, interview process um, we'd love to hear your feedback the goal is to really do one one interesting guest per month which we feel is definitely attainable and we want to keep it you know Canadian centric focused really talking about you know policy and and so hey you know if you're a Interesting person, a government official, a central banker, former central banker, uh, and you want to come on the show? Famer. Hockey Hall Hockey of Famer. Hockey Hall of Famer, Wayne there? Gretzky, you hear this? Send us a uh, send us an email, and uh, we'll we'll coordinate having you on the show. Um, but yeah, as of right now, I think it's a good place to wrap it up. We've got uh, markets again. Everyone's uh, racing for the soft landing. If if central bankers can pull us off, it'll be like uh, Captain Sully there landing on the Hudson. This will be uh, really really something. So let's uh, let's see if we can pull it off. And uh, as always, we appreciate you guys' support, and we'll see you next week.